Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into everything you're talking about in the game we all love. I'm Ian McGarry and with me is Duncan Castles as always and on today's podcast we will be bringing you news on Manchester City, Napoli, Manchester United, Borussia Dortmund and Liverpool all to come as well as of course the infamous Donkey Award to wrap the whole thing up. However, to start with big news regarding Crystal Palace and their manager Roy Hodgson. Uh, Duncan, please uh, inform us as to what's going on at uh, Palace and uh, the fact that their manager, uh, who signed a new contract, we believe, just a couple of months ago, um, but may not see that out. Yeah, Roy Hodgson signed a new contract on 6 March. It was announced by the club, um, another year extension for him um, for Manager will be 73 in August and and who, um, on the face of it, has done a, a fantastic job at Crystal Palace in that he, he came in September 2017, took over a team um, led by Frank de Boer, which had had the worst start in Premier League history, kept them up um, comfortably, 11th place. Um, last season, 12th place, added another five points to their, their total for the season. This season... Um, 12th again at present, um, very comfortable in terms of staying in the division um, and uh, generally regarded as a, as a real safe pair of hands. However, there are, um, I can tell you, um, doubts about Hodgson from Crystal Palace's ownership. And, and these, I think, uh, they come essentially from a sense that they, the owners believe they can do more with the football club. Um, more than just aim for survival in the Premier League, more than put out um, a team of experienced players playing conservative football very effectively to you know very set. We know how Roy Hodgson teams play. They always play that way. He has a formula. He implements it. He works with players he trusts, which, which generally means he uses older players who will follow instruction and he gets an outcome, which is to keep the team safely in the Premier League. Um, but Crystal Palace feel that they can they can go further as a club, partly to take advantage of um, their location in London, which is obviously attractive to players, um, and partly by targeting younger players, um, developing them on a Premier League setting, selling for a profit down the line, using a strategy that a lot of, of the kind of middle-tier Premier League clubs have, have followed. Um, there's also a, a degree of concern, I'm told, that were things to go wrong under the Hodgson system, were they to have a bad season and they were to end up relegated um, with the kind of squad structure they have, it could be very damaging for the club in the sense that they would be left with a lot of highly paid players on uh, who are older, who they would not be able to sell on um, and uh, they could get themselves in a situation where it wouldn't be possible for them to get immediately back up 
into the, the Premier League. To give you a, a sense of, of the kind of um, teams and strategies that Hodgson's been using, if you look through the squad for this season, um, the 14 most used players um, for Premier League games for Crystal Palace this season are all 27 years of age or older. The youngest one is their best player, Wilfred Saha. He's the only 27-year-old. Of those 14, 11 of them will be 30 or over this year. So you're really at the top end of, um, of, a, of an age structure in an era in which most clubs value younger players. Most clubs are, are shifting towards concentrating on younger players. Even the top clubs in the division have, have got a, um, tend to have a strategy to, to seek out and get those players in the, in the squad and in the first team as quickly as possible. Hodgson basically does the polar opposite. So my, my information is that Crystal Palace have already interviewed alternatives for the position. One individual I'm told they interviewed um, was Roger Schmidt, the former Bayer Leverkusen and Beijing coach, um, who has subsequently decided to uh, sign a contract with PSV Eindhoven and will coach them next season. Um, there is also, I'm told, an interest in Sean Deitch, which in, in some ways would be contrary to um, the kind of concerns that Crystal Palace have. If you want to, to go for that younger profile, if you want to play more exciting football, I'm not sure Sean Deitch is the individual to uh, pursue. Perhaps Deitch would have a different argument and would say, I can play different football if I'm taking, taking away from the constraints of Burnley. We know he's unhappy there. Um, we know there are issues financially at Burnley at present, so this might be a good time for, for Palace to pursue that. I'm also told that there is a, a strong interest in Javi Gracia, um, the Watford uh, coach who was sacked earlier this season, um, who did an excellent job with Watford last season, um, got them to the FA Cup final, um, almost took them into the, the top half of the Premier League. Um, generally regarded to be a very good um, and pragmatic coach who uh, is open to doing interesting work in the transfer market and also um, is uh, capable to, of implementing different um, uh, tactical styles on the pitch. So you can understand why Gracia would be of interest to Crystal Palace. I'm also told that Gracia's preference um, would be to remain in, in English football um, should he not uh, uh, sign a contract elsewhere. He's been on the market for a while. There's, there is significant interest in Spain uh, to recruit him. We talked about Real Betis' interest in uh, Gracia, but, but he is still living in England and told by friends of his that his preference would be to remain in English football if he could. So I think Crystal Palace is a job that would appeal to him were they to um, aggressively pursue that option. I think it's interesting, Duncan, that in in recent seasons, certainly, um, and I'm talking about the last 10 years, uh, managers in the Premier League generally have become younger on average. Uh, and Roy Hodgson, of course, is now the, the senior partner uh, with the departure of Arsene Wenger, obviously, uh, almost two seasons ago from Arsenal. Um, clubs are looking for managers who can relate to younger players. Um, 
and Hodgson's case, the stats you cite about the Palace squad say quite a lot about um, where he look, uh, where he looks to in terms of people he can trust uh, in his selection. And um, Palace have invested a lot in their academy. They um, are looking to bring through uh, younger players. Their structure now post well when we're in a post-COVID environment, will be one which um, will look to promote younger players in the way that Chelsea have. They've actually invested a lot of money and not it's not, I think, very well known. But the um, not only do they uh, take younger players into the academy, but they send them to a very, um, well, it's, it's quite a, an elite private school in Croydon, Uh as well to get an education and that's one of the advantages and also the privileges of attending Palace's Academy is that you also get that um, sort of safety net of a, of a, a very interesting educational opportunity as well. So it doesn't surprise me that having turned to Hodgson in a time of crisis, that having done his job in terms of keeping the club up and stabilising everything around Selhurst Park that now they're looking to the future and looking to a manager who, as I said, could, um, who relates better to younger players and who will bring players through. Yeah, because I think you see this often with football clubs. It's um, They take for granted uh, high achievement uh, when when they perform above expectation. So Crystal Palace don't really have any uh, you know, God-given right to be in the top 12 clubs in England um, from the perspective of uh, their profile as a club, the infrastructure they have. Hodgson, you have to be sympathetic with it in that he, has, he was hired to do a particular job. Everyone knows the way he manages. He is uh, he's very good at implementing um, this kind of safety first, um, work by numbers, tactical scheme, which gets enough points over the course of a season to keep a club in the Premier League. Um, but I think you often see this when it, with with managers of that type or, or of different types. Eventually, the, the owners get bored with um, lack of progress. Uh, and believe they can they can do more by implementing plans of their own, which which they feel will push the club higher up the league. And then they start to think about uh, making changes. When um, from the outside it seems strange that you would want to change the the security of mid-table Premier League uh, survival, keep yourself on the on the broadcast revenue. Um, gravy train and um, and just accept that that's about as much as you can do with a club that uh, that has the resources of Crystal Palace. I think sometimes we forget how long Roy Hodgson has been around despite being 73. Uh, his initial career obviously um, was mainly forced abroad. I recall uh, an evening in Milan when uh, I was eating in the restaurant of the Hotel Brun, uh, a, a big football haunt after games at the San Siro, which was indeed where I'd been that evening. And Roy Hodgson came in to dine 
um, while I was sitting with some friends in, in the restaurant. And he received a standing ovation from all the Inter fans and the waiters because, of course, the seasons, uh, I think it was two seasons he had at Inter, he won the UEFA Cup and was still regarded with massive amount of respect uh, there for his achievements at Inter. So, um, And that was 20 years ago. So, yeah, um, as I said, it's, it's sometimes we allow ourselves to forget just how uh, long, how much longevity Hodgson's had in his career. From Roy Hodgson and Crystal Palace, we move to uh, the game on Thursday night in which Manchester City demolished Liverpool, I think it's fair to say, who did look like either they were on the beach or on the bevy. Uh, we're not quite sure which, or maybe both. Uh, but news and an update, Duncan, on uh, Manchester City's pursuit of Napoli centre-back Kaladu Koulibaly. And that is that we understand one of the uh, difficulties involved in this deal is that the player himself has changed agent recently and that agent change is causing complications with regards to commission payments. Now, his agent uh, formerly was a quite famous, uh, is a quite famous um, uh, person who deals with many Senegalese international players, Bruno Satan, uh, once agent of Patrick Vieira, um, and he has been expended by uh, Koulibaly, who's now being represented by his brother. And so any commission which goes uh, with Koulibaly's deal Will have to be split because Satan still has a contract with Koulibaly. Just as interesting, though, is the fact that Napoli owner Aurelio De Laurentiis has accepted that in the current financial climate, the 100 million euro plus price tag that he had placed on his centre back uh, has to be reduced. And we believe that he is willing to accept an initial payment of around 45 million euros, going up to between 60 and 70 million euros with add-ons. Now, that's not going to be a problem for Manchester City, who we believe are willing to spend big to find the right partner for Imeric Laporte. Duncan, um, given what we saw last night, but not only that, and the fact that Pep Guardiola has spoken in quite... uh, confrontational terms, I would say, with regards to challenging for the title next season. Would you expect him to move quickly and meet that kind of price tag for Koulibaly? It does seem a bit of a bargain for someone who will hit the ground running. I think with Napoli, you you have to be very careful in your negotiations. And, and Manchester City have been burnt by Napoli before. Um, we remember the extensive process in which Guardiola... Um, or more importantly, Chiki Bergiristan um, pursued Jorginho um, as that um, Fernandinho replacement that Manchester City had been looking for for such a long period of time, only to lose Jorginho to Chelsea at uh, the end of the process as um, Aurelio De De Laurentiis um, kind of wrapped the Jorginho deal into Chelsea's pursuit of Maurizio Sarri, who, if you remember, was being retained by Napoli under um, a contract 
in which uh, Chelsea had to pay significant compensation to Napoli to hire him, even though De Laurentiis had already removed him of his duties as Napoli coach. And um, an example of De Laurentiis's um, work in these matters is that that was a a, a contract which had a, a compensation clause to Sarri, should he be sacked, which he was, that was a fraction of the value of the amount that uh, clubs had to pay should they want to take him from Napoli, which is exactly why De Laurentiis retained him on gardening leave uh, with the ambition of of, uh, of securing the money, which he did from Chelsea, as well as a large transfer fee from Jorginho. He's known to be an extremely difficult individual to work with. Um, I think Carlo Ancelotti will tell you some interesting stories about his time working for De Laurentiis uh, and uh, and a man who is who is difficult to deal with in any transfer. So signalling that they are prepared to take 45 million euros as an initial fee. Um, uh, I think if you're Manchester City, you believe that only when you've got the 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 signature on the document um, of transfer, um, and he's guaranteed to be coming to your club. What's clear is um, that City are prepared to put a lot of money into this transfer market. Right-sided centre-back, the position Koulibaly would fill alongside Americ Laporte is a priority position, as is a replacement for Leroy Zani, who they have now lost to Bayern Munich. Um, you see Guardiola talking about um, the need to change the squad um, and saying, you know, it's impossible to carry on for the players of the last 10 years, that they can't be eternal. Um, and sometimes you need to replace them with new players, mentioning individuals like Vincent Company, who's gone, David Silva is about to leave, Fernandinho and Sergio Aguero, who have just one year left in the contract and saying he doesn't know whether they will extend or not and saying that players have to be replaced um, but it's not a disaster thing or a bad thing. It's part of football for the age, for the normal situation and circumstances. I think you also saw in that performance against Liverpool, Guardiola getting his team to put down a statement of intent. And it, I think it was interesting, Raheem Sterling's comments after the match, that this was the start of next season, effectively, for them. And they, and they were motivated, particularly motivated, um, to embarrass Liverpool and, and demonstrate that they will have serious competition from them if they want to retain that title next season. Um, and part of that competition is going to be the expenditure on players. And um, unlike in a couple of the recent seasons after they've won the title, um, the handbrake seems to be off with Abu Dhabi um, Chiqui Bergeristan and Pep Guardiola, they're, they're prepared to put down serious money for the right players in the positions they need um, because of what Liverpool have done to them this season and the, and the number of points they are going to end up um, finishing behind them in this year's Premier League table. Well, it was certainly the case that Manchester City uh, clapped Liverpool onto the pitch and then played them right off it. Uh, even in the first half with uh, three goals. It was an impressive performance. Indeed, by Pep Guardiola's side, maybe some would argue a little bit uh, too much too late, uh, given the margin of Liverpool's victory in winning the Premier League. And also, Duncan, I think slightly concerning for Liverpool fans is 
the uh, the vibes and the narrative coming out of the club, both from Jurgen Klopp, but also from Tom Werner um, earlier in the week, regarding what there is to spend and how it will be spent. Klopp, in particular, seemed spiky in his post-match interview last night. Um, uh, a lot's been made of that, and we'll come back to that during the donkey, of course. Um, but talk of, and again, it, it makes no sense, but still, internal transfers. Yes. Look, I think Timo Werner is the best example here. You, Ian, explained uh, for some time in the podcast that the, the amount of work that Jurgen Klopp had gone into to secure or try and secure Timo Werner to convince the player that Liverpool was the right place to go to. The personal terms had been agreed with the player, but Liverpool decided not to pay the release clause. They tried to negotiate that down and allowed Chelsea to come in and uh, and take the player from them um, in a position that is of importance to them. They want to get that another forward in to um, support Sadio Mane, provide alternatives to Mane and Salah and Roberto Firmino and with the perspective that, that those three players are not going to be with them forever. Um, Klopp has talked about what he wants to do or what the club wants to do, I think, more importantly, is the is the correct way to phrase it in, the, in this coming window and saying that, um, that they cannot spend millions and millions and millions um, because we want to or we think it is nice to do. Uh, and he claims we never wanted that. Uh, and then he says um, that we have good players um, on the fringes of the first team. And he uses this phrase, we want to create our transfers internally. Um, so the proposal there is to promote some of the, the younger players on the fringe of the first team into um, spaces in the squad that are left empty um, by exiting players. So um, one example here is Adam Lalana, who um, will not have his contract renewed at uh, Liverpool and will be leaving um, once this season completes. Um, I'm told that what Liverpool would like to do is promote Curtis Jones, um, their 19-year-old England Youth International, um, into Lalana's position in the squad. So he would not be a starter. He would take up a role similar to Lalana's, which is to be a player coming off the bench and to be used in the, the you know, what you have to say are very occasional rotations that Klopp is able to apply to his squad because of the preparation methods they use there. Um, and they hope that Jones can do as well in that role as Lalan has been able to do for them and, and develop going forward into a, a, a starter for Liverpool. Um, it's The difficulty I think they have is Klopp's system is so dependent on energy levels, um, aggression um, and controlled aggression, applying his tactical scheme appropriately. Talks a lot about how everyone has to learn to be in the right places at the right time. Um, Obviously, pressing the weakest individual in the opposition, choosing the right moments to do that. And I think the Manchester City game was a great example of what goes wrong with Liverpool when they start making wrong decisions. We saw, for example, Andy Robertson diving into tackles and 
playing a bit like he does for Scotland. It's like he, he seemed to want to solve all the problems by himself and ended up causing problems for Liverpool. And suddenly this system, which has been dominant in the Premier League for a year, um, fell apart um, very rapidly in, in that game. So Jones, I think, generally considered to be a, a serious talent, someone who will probably evolve into a starter for a Premier League team. The question, the doubts are, can he learn to play the right way in the Liverpool system? And, and as I say, that's the difficulty Liverpool have in, in promoting from within and, and also recruiting externally as they have to get the, exactly the right type of player to fit their system. Otherwise, they're, they're pretty much they're, they're not as effective as they, as they should be. They can't, they can't be as broad in the recruitment as some other clubs are able to do because the system is the thing that makes Liverpool as good as they are. And if you don't fit into the system, then you, it's difficult for Klopp to use you effectively. And they've, they've allowed players who are um, very talented um, that they brought through from their academy um, to leave simply because they don't, they can't do what Klopp wants them to do in that team. And, and I think that's going to be the test for them this summer on top of the, the challenge of back-to-back titles and motivation. And we've seen Klopp sort of talking quite testily about how people are, are have been telling him that you've got to win the title twice in a row to be a great team when when they've um, when they've already when they've just won it. He didn't. He, he clearly doesn't like those comments. But they have that challenge, um, and they have the challenge of doing it with um, some restrictions on them in the transfer market that I think in an ideal world Klopp would not like to have. It does seem to be a feeling, Duncan. Um... Fenway Sports Group made a bold decision and one which Jurgen Klopp cracked a little bit on in pre-season last year when they didn't strengthen significantly after winning the Champions League. And they've gone on, they've kicked on and won the Premier League by this record margin of points. And it's almost like FSG are saying, well, this is... That, that was our decision and we've been proven right because we've now you know, made this massive breakthrough, first title in 30 years. So if we say what's good for you, Jürgen, then you're going to have to listen to it, even though Klopp clearly, as we know in the case of Werner, Timo Werner that is, um, in particular, sees this as a backward, well, maybe not a backward step, but not necessarily taking advantage in order to improve and strengthen in order to keep up the standard that they have set themselves, which is a very high bar. Um, And you think about Chelsea recruiting intelligently and with expense. Uh, Manchester United will do the same. Uh, Manchester City, as we know, will do the same. So the challenges they face next season are going to be far greater in terms of their rivals uh, and the challenge, and also obviously who will be competing for the Premier League title than they have this season. And yet they'll do it with the same group of players. And as you've pointed out, this sense that, oh, it's okay, we've got Curtis Jones coming through. 
Okay, it's an economic decision. It's clearly an economic decision. Um, it's, it is educated by them winning the title by so many points. We, we said in the previous podcast, I think this could be a handicap for Liverpool because that that degree of, um, that margin of victory they have, I think, is deceptive um, for the reasons we've explained. Um, and this has been a weak Premier League season. As you point out, the rivals are signalling the intent to spend. Chelsea have already spent significant amounts in two areas. Manchester City definitely will. Manchester United should add at least one um, high-level player as well. So the, the rivals, from a personnel point of view, should get closer to them. And then the calculation has to be, from Fenway Sports' perspective, is uh, how, exactly how much resource do we have to leave Klopp with to win the title again? Because he's won um, by such a massive margin. We've got some uh, some wriggle room there. Um, Liverpool's explanation is that it, this is driven by COVID. Um, and uh, it's hurt their finances. I think there is a there's a factor, an important factor here, is that if you look at the the cash, the stored cash balances of um, the top six Premier League clubs, um, Liverpool have a lower cash balance in the bank um, at the end of the the last set of accounts than any of the rivals. So obviously the liquidity issues that COVID have caused will be more dangerous to Liverpool because they don't have that reserve of, of cash in the bank and then, and therefore they made that move to furlough non-playing staff um, and have backed off on a, on a transfer deal that, uh, that Klopp wanted. Um, the question in all of these things is, is who is best at making the assessment and um, whether the owners are right that they can get away with restricting recruitment um, this summer after winning the title and still win the title again. Um, and the, the only test of that will be next season. So has Moneyball, which became Merseyball, ended up in Miserball? That's the, que- <laughs> that's the question which I suspect we will be asking ourselves as the transfer window uh, goes forward this summer and also as Liverpool line up in the new season. We now move to Jadon Sancho, one of the longest transfer sagas, it feels like certainly anyway, uh, even longer than lockdown and indeed my hair um, in this uh, period. And news perhaps which will be encouraged to Manchester United fans and that is our understanding that Sancho has agreed in principle in the last two weeks a contract, a five-year contract with Manchester United, which will pay him initially around £140,000 per week, but increasing to around £200,000 per week over the course of that deal. The player's agent, Emeka Obasi, has recently been busy uh, doing other deals, notably um, with uh, Saka's new deal with Arsenal, but uh, is still hopeful that United will be able to agree a fee with Borussia Dortmund. Manchester United have been rather uh, rumbustuously uh, briefing this week that they will not uh, pay any more than 50 million euros for Jadon Sancho, which, of course, is at least less than half 
of Borussia Dortmund's original valuation of the England International. However, Duncan, with a deal in principle agreed with the player, would you think that it may be getting closer to a conclusion because we have been talking about this for a long time? I think uh, when when you have Manchester United briefing that they're got, they're not prepared to pay anything like the transfer fee that Dortmund have made clear that they want for the player, that would suggest that actually it's going to get drawn out rather than get resolved. Um, that they aren't the two sides aren't particularly close on um, on fee. Um, it's definitely the priority position. For Manchester United, um, Jadon Sancho is their preferred uh, target for that role. They are discussing other individuals. We told you Jack Grealish is um, is a possibility um, to come in, um, not a like for like player, but um, to be the uh, the addition, the creative addition to to Solskjaer's squad for next season. Um, there's an interest in Adama Traore, although I do not see them going to the levels that Wolves are asking um, for for that player. Um, 150 million euros has been the, the asking price and and whatever Wolves are prepared to come down to, it's going to be up at a similar sort of level to what Dortmund are, are currently asking for Sancho. Um, I think Dortmund's They've been making noises that they're happy to retain the player for another year um, and that they would look to to agree a new contract with them. I think they're in a, a difficult position in that he only has two years left on contract. He's already showed his, <laughs> it's his ability to force himself out of a major club um, at a young age before he'd even played any senior football. So um, if you're relying on the player um, to, uh, to be cooperative, um, history would suggest that uh, that, that might, might be a difficult um, strategy to take given what he did with Manchester City and, and interestingly you have um, Pep Guardiola talking this week about Jadon Sancho and being asked whether they would um, move to take him back as they have a, a an option to, to buy him at a, a lower price than the rivals um, and completely ruling it out and you know saying, no, 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 he decided to leave, why should he decide to come back? Um, which I think, again, gives you the sense of the some of the difficulties that, that come with the player. Um, so I, I would expect it to take a while to resolve itself. And I think Manchester United, the noises I'm getting from Manchester United, they are definitely trying to uh, limit their expenditure in this window uh, and, and want to put a message out that they are not going to throw um, large amounts of cash at, uh, at the COVID market. Um, we've seen historically that they, they have a tendency to to take a long time to negotiate deals. Um, uh, and well, we know what it's driven by. It's the, the, the Glazer family um, have the final say on all of these transfers and they have to be assured that uh, there are, are va- there is value in that in each of those deals. Um, so I think it's complicated, uh, this one, but um, that they have personal terms agreed with the player is a positive for the, for the club. Well, as I was going to say, Duncan, as we both know in these scenarios, once you've agreed with the player and the player obviously has indicated his 
desire to leave and join you, then uh, it usually helps in terms of the player's insistence at his current club with regards to, uh, look, I want to leave. You know, I know what I'm going for. I know what I'm doing. So uh, if you don't allow me to leave, then you know, I will agitate. And this is a player who has had three separate incidents in this season so far of um, fines for misbehaviour in terms of the club code of conduct. And we know that Dortmund at different times have said um, that, yeah, he's been a bit problematic in this season because of the unsettled nature uh, of his season because of the interest mainly from Manchester United. And it may well be that Bush Dortmund, who have spent on Erling Haaland, um, may well spend elsewhere again this summer as well, need the money to re- just to break even in terms of FFP, but also just for their finances. So uh, we shall keep you up to date, of course, uh, on Jaden Sancho and Manchester United with any information that we get. Uh, we, of course, will do that even when we're not on the pod because you can uh, get updates on our social media channels, which I will remind you of after the Donkey Award for this week. This week, we are dedicating it to uh, Premier League Chief Executive Richard Masters, who this week uh, appeared uh, before the DCMS uh, committee regarding several different things. Uh, We won't go into them, but the award itself is for getting agitated. Yes, that's for sure, but also a little bit uneasy when uh, forced to answer perfectly reasonable questions. Uh, now, I'm going to open the golden envelope here, Duncan, uh, and uh, read out the nominations for this week's award. No place else to start, but Jurgen Klopp uh, for his interview with Sky's Jeff Shreves uh, after Thursday night's 4-0 hammering by Manchester City, where he got very, very agitated, very, very uneasy, and in fact, a little spiky when asked very reasonable questions about things as anodyne as did you have like some good chances in the first half? Uh, I'll let Duncan go into that one for you. Uh, one of my personal favourites is going back to the Louis van Gaal's red and white army phase of uh, Manchester United's recent history when he um, called out Neil Custis of the Sun uh, and called, well, he called him Fat Man uh, causing Custis to go on a massive diet, saying he would lose more pounds than United would get points by the end of that season. Um, And a little personal one here, and that's another Manchester manager, Sir Alex Ferguson, who, when I was uh, questioning him after a particular game against Charlton, in which they were three goals up and come back to draw 3-3, Charlton did, that is, after Ferguson uh, removed Roy Keane from the pitch, to save him for a Champions League match, uh, I pointed out to the great man, perhaps that was the catalyst for the um, collapse uh, of his team and the fact that they ended up with one point rather than three. His response was, who are you talking to me about my tactics and my substitutions? That's it, I'm leaving. 
So, Duncan, over to you. Did you sense all that Ferguson reply there on that Olean? Uh, yes, just a bit, but you know, we do have some younger listeners. Okay. Um, <laughs> and and do we know do we know if Neil Custis I, I I must admit that was a great response from Neil Custis to that Huang Hao jibe. Do we know if he had, in the end did lose more pounds than um No, but I'm sure our, our listeners just have to Google Neil Custis fat man. And uh, I'm sure they'll find the answer to that for themselves. <laughs> uh, well, Jurgen Klopp, um, yes, very much reverted to type. He's a man who does not like questions after defeats, even though he'd uh, spent the week celebrating that historic victory. Um, first, well, it wasn't even a difficult question. First, basically the first question of of any contention he gets, he turns to. Um, Jeff Shreves and says you you ask me why you ask me if we had decent chances we had moments but you watch the game completely ca- calm why you ask me if we had decent chances makes no sense this question and I mean maybe maybe Jurgen would like to be like um, Richard Masters when he was under questioning from the SNP MP uh, John Nicholson on the Newcastle United takeover and um, you know basically again and again and again responded with the answer it's a confidential process i can't comment on that maybe that that needs to be jürgen klopp's um, stock response to difficult questions and press conferences it is a confidential process i cannot comment on it um, so we are we saying that goal chances are not a confidential process is that because the games have been played behind closed doors yes uh, yeah <laughs> ghost games Asterix, the game doesn't count anyway. Now the games don't count because um, because Liverpool won the title, so the the, the asterisks can be added to the last uh, X number of matches of of Liverpool's campaign. Um, but yeah, asking asking reporters um, why they're asking questions about very basic things in football is it's not really a good look for uh, for the defending champion. He could just have said that he wasn't happy with the attitude and the the players had been celebrating and. Um, and it, and it didn't really matter that much. but uh, He did smile a lot during his awkwardness, which is part of his, his way of doing things, isn't it? Does he, does, does he not say, do you not have a phrase about he, he, he scares people into thinking that he's going to bite them? Maybe the, 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 is that connected to the smile? I'm reminded now of the Bee Gees song, Massachusetts. <laughs> That's one for you older listeners out there. But, but having said that about Jurgen Klopp, I think you do remind us that um, the greatest winner of Premier League history was, um, if anything, more difficult with reporters when they asked him challenging questions, as as you know, knew to your uh, your cost after that game, and as various reporters knew to the cost of being excluded from press conferences at Manchester United for considerable periods of time if they asked him the wrong thing or wrote something he objected to. Um, it was, you know, a standard tactic of the of the great man. So I think he gets the um the Richard Masters Award this week. Oh, that's lovely. I'm sure he's missing football, so to get the Donkey Award will be something just to remind him of just how great he uh, was, is, and will always be in the history of the game. Just like the Transfer Window podcast, which you can continue the debate with us uh, on our social media channels. 
They are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You can also um, take up any of the issues we've spoken about or indeed the things that you are thinking about with Duncan at Duncan Castles on Twitter and myself at Garbo SJ. We also have uh, the podcast available on YouTube now. So just get on to YouTube and search at the Transfer Window podcast and you will be able to listen online there should you find uh, that that is your want. Apart from that, uh, we will be back next week with more news before it becomes news. And until then, it just leaves me to say, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.